Open them to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. This morning we're going to wrap up that those uh, twins, uh, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the costly pearl. And before I ask you to stand in the reading of the Word of God, um, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Now, blessed Father, we do come and we seek Your face. We seek Your face under the promise that all who do will find it. We come to knock upon that door of truth. Lord, we know that You will open it to all who seek it. Now, Father, we ask that You would pour out Your strength upon this servant to open up this Word, that we might ponder its truths and consider, Lord, its teaching, that we might compare ourselves to this merchant, that we might see the kingdom of God in its proper light, And we might see truth as a costly pearl. Wherever we are in our walk with you, whatever condition we are spiritually, Lord, we ask that as the great physician, you would come and, Lord, operate upon each of us. That you would come and minister to us kindly, compassionately, mercifully. Lord, we pray that we would see the fruit of our fellowship with You in an increased love and desire for You, an increased love for the truth, increase our love for the church, for the kingdom of God that is on earth. Now, Father, we come to bless Your name, and now we ask You to bless Your own name in us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, stand with me and let's look at verse 45 and 46 and consider what our Lord is teaching us here. Hear now the Word of God. Again, Christ said, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Now, brothers and sisters, it is important that when we come to any portion of God's Word, but particularly even the parables, that we never forget the context in which these stories are given to us. Jesus is, certainly has begun to amass a, a, a rather large following. And after teaching upon the shore of Galilee for most of the day, He is now retired into the house, into a house, with His disciples. And it's to His disciples where He begins now to teach them these parables. And of course, we opened up the hidden treasure parable last week and wanted to consider what it meant for us as God's people. And I'll only touch on a couple of things as we move into the costly pearl parable. First, they are twins, but they're not identical twins. The two parables teach the same truth. It's to help train the people of God to have a proper estimation of the kingdom of God. A proper estimation of Christ and the gospel and truth. And I find it interesting and telling that our Lord found it important to give two parables back to back teaching the same truth. Now, it's not teaching the same truth in the same way, and that's where they're different, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. But it is the same truth. It is the same theme. For we are to be challenged as we come to these parables and consider how 
we estimate the kingdom of God. What is our estimation? What is our value? What value do we place upon Christ, the gospel, the church, the truth? And when I say the church, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not talking about a group. I'm talking about that kingdom of God that is implanted in all of those who truly, sincerely, really believe and trust in Jesus Christ, have been regenerated and are in the process in this world of being sanctified and brought along in growth and grace so that one day, they will receive all that they had hoped for, and that is the full conformity to the glory and will of Christ and the Father. Every true believer will receive what they long for, and that is conformity and fellowship with the Father and Son. And that's what every Christian should long for. And that's what these parables teach us. In the first parable, we have a treasure that's stumbled upon. In the costly pearl, we have the character seeking it out. And I think the difference, is, the difference in these two parables, though they teach the same truth, they teach it from a... from. Each comes at this one theme and truth from two different perspectives. The hidden treasure perspective, I believe, makes the most sense by seeing it as an unbeliever coming to this knowledge of Christ. Someone who's been awakened, someone who's been enlightened, someone who's had their eyes opened and their hearts made soft and tender to the preaching of the gospel, the explanation of Christ, the uh, being able by faith, if you will, to, to see who Christ really, really is. And, and, to, and to the Spirit working in that person, making Christ very precious, very precious. The pearl of great price comes at it from the perspective, I believe, of a believer. Already have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Already come into this fellowship and communion with Christ. What is Christ trying to teach us? Well, I believe Christ is trying to teach His children that the kingdom of God is not something that's just received once and that's it. That once that once Jesus is seen for who He is, once His mercy is comprehended, you know what mercy is, right? Mercy is not receiving what is owed to you. Mercy is, is not getting what you deserve. That's mercy. To deserve condemnation and to recognize that that, that deserving condemnation that God in His justice is, fi- is, is perfectly right to, to condemn me. But I do not receive what I have purchased for myself, which is condemnation. I don't receive that. I receive mercy. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit awakens that dead soul to see what mercy looks like. But then it goes on and continues to seek that which is so precious. Now I want this morning to open that up and I hope to be able to prove that interpretation from the parable itself. Because there are, I think, two other ways in which men and theologians and pastors come to the parable of the costly pearl. The first one that I'll throw out there to you is one that I find is the weakest and really, I think, 
not only weak, but just inaccurate. And that is, they will interpret, theologians are, will interpret this parable at, again, making the merchant an unbeliever. And again, teaching not just the, the same truth as the hidden treasure parable, but also coming at it from the same perspective. That the merchant is an unbeliever and the pearl is Christ. And he goes and he sells everything to buy this pearl, this Christ. And again, I mean, that is true. That's what we should do. But that's not, I don't think, what this parable teaches. Another interpretation of the parable of great of the pearl of great price is one that is, I think, more uh, weightier. I think there is some consideration to be had there, though I don't hold this interpretation. And that is that Christ is the merchant. If you look at the text, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And, and let me show you where they get that and this idea that Jesus is the merchant. If you go to Isaiah 53... You turn over to Isaiah 53, and you'll see here that this is a chapter that sets forth the the severe humiliation of Jesus Christ. This chapter helps us come to grips in our come to grip in our mind with this idea of the suffering and humiliation of Jesus and Begin reading at verse 1, it says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? For He grew up before Him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that he that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him he was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hid their face he was despised and we did not esteem him Surely our griefs He Himself bore, our sorrows He carried. We ourselves esteemed Him stricken, submitting of God, and afflicted. Now I'll just stop there. The idea works like this, that this merchant is Christ. And what did Christ have to do in order to possess the pearl of great price? He had to forsake the glory of heaven. And he had to come and inject himself into a world that did not receive him. It's the idea that Christ paid it all. And there is truth to all of that, but I still don't think this parable teaches us that. I think the parable makes the most sense, brothers and sisters, when we see that what Jesus is saying here, that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. I think the better interpretation of the parable begins when we look at what it actually says. And that is the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Now it's important for us to consider these words and and again to understand the context and the flow of the teachings of Christ here. He's sitting with His disciples and He's helping His disciples to, to understand what does the kingdom of God look like here, here with you. Now remember, the kingdom is not a geographical. The kingdom of heaven is not geographical. You can't get in your car and drive there. You can't get on a plane and fly there. You can't get there by boat. Well, how do you get to this kingdom? You get there by faith. You get there by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You get there by listening to the gospel preached and accepting its central truths as your own truths. It's not just agreeing with the preacher, though you should if he's preaching the truth. It's not simply being encouraged by the preacher or 
let's just use the entertainment word, entertained by the preacher. The idea is that what you have come to hear with your ears and understand in your heart, you have received it and made it yours. You become a possessor of it. To see the preaching of the gospel and the, the glorious preaching of Christ and his mediation and his role as king and prophet and priest. Ask, listen, what good does that do you if he is not your king? If he's not your priest? If he's not your prophet? What good does it do you? What benefits do you have if he is not your Christ? Your Jesus? The kingdom of heaven, brothers and sisters, are the people of God. The spiritual people of God, the body of Christ, that spiritual bride where Christ is the bridegroom. And that body, that spiritual kingdom, transcends geographical boundaries and countries. It Involves many Christian denominations. Wherever Christ is faithfully preached. Wherever truth is faithfully heralded. There the kingdom of God is. But it's still not the individual's kingdom until they take it and assume it and possess it for themselves. We have a picture of a believer as the merchant. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. This merchant is not some peddler in the market. He's a trader. He's a a traveler. The word is a very broad word to mean one who, who travels all over the various lands and foreign places seeking and buying and trading and selling. It's not, it wasn't uncommon in this day. And, and in fact, the book of Kings talks about traders and merchants that Solomon had hired to go and seek the finest horses for his stable. Wealthy people would, would hire these merchants to go and traverse lands and people groups looking for certain items of, of uniqueness and, 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 and to bring back to them treasures, if you will. And here we have this merchant, and he's not just simply any old general merchant. He is a, a, a pearl dealer. He deals in pearls. Obviously, he knows pearls. He studied pearls. He has an eye for the best pearls. He already knows what he's looking for. He already has a standard by which to judge the the pearls by and and weigh them out on the scale of quality and degree of, 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 I guess, beauty. Right? Well, the kingdom of heaven is like that. Believers are very much like this merchant. We've come into this relationship with Jesus Christ. We've had our eyes opened. Our hearts have been laid open. We've been humbled before our God. He has shown us our sin. He has shown us what mercy looks like. He has shown us compassion and love and tenderness. And now we have to grow up in those things because it's a process. It's not something that we, we just grow up overnight and come to full maturity and conformity to Christ. It doesn't work that way. But yet the same desire that is with the lost person who stumbles upon the precious gospel of Christ and sells everything and buys this, this treasure, the believer is like that as well. You know what? I think we one of the, the plagues, right, of God's people is becoming so familiar with the gospel that it's no longer precious to us. It's the you know, it, it it's the fine article that sits on the mantle, we forget about it. 
We see it every day and we never think about it. And in that, in that sad state, we begin to presume upon God's goodness and grace and His compassion and mercies. We presume upon it. We just know that God's going to, He loves us. And we can get away with this and we can get away with that and we can get away with less intense love for Him. But this parable teaches us that it ought not be so and it isn't so for the kingdom, the children of God. That's not the way it ought to be. That's not the way it should work, is it? You know, the Bible tells us that unbelievers don't seek God. We know He's not an unbeliever because unbelievers do not seek God. Romans chapter 3 teaches us that no one, not anyone, seek after God. So how is this? How does the saint, how does the believer come to be a seeker of truth? Because the Spirit of truth is now residing in his heart, in her heart. The Spirit of truth is, is working in this believer a love and compassion and a zeal and, and fervor and thirst and hunger for the truth. That's why it's there. That's why you can't conjure it up. It's there. And, and, and it remains there even when sin comes into our lives, whether we invite that sin, uh, whatever degree of participation we are having that sin, whether it's a breakdown of, of, of malice and hatred and vindictiveness and all of the other things that come to us in life, no matter, but that zeal for the truth never goes away. And it never goes away because the Spirit of God remains Remains in every true child of God to the very end of days. Look with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. I'm just going to make some points and make some applications and we'll be finished. I'm not sure that We need to go how far we need to go. I think this is something that ought to be clear and obvious to most of us. In chapter 14, now let, me, let me explain what's going on here. In chapter 13, we have a, a, a description of the Lord's Supper. And there's something that happens in this before the meal that is very telling to the rest of it. And, and, if you, and you don't need to turn there, but it's where Jesus basically girds Himself up and He washes the disciples' feet. And Peter wants to have nothing to do with this. And Peter, in a show of humility, says to the Lord Jesus, no, no, let, no. If you're going to, you know, let, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. I'm too, I'm too unholy for you to wash my feet. And Jesus then says to Peter, He says, well, Peter, if I cannot wash your feet, you can have nothing to do with me. And then in, better, in very Peter-esque response or retort, what does He say? Well, then wash me from head to toe. Just wash me all over. What Peter is confessing is, Lord, I want to have something to do with you. And I want as much of you as I can have. Well, then Jesus says something to him, and he says in verse 10, he says, Jesus said to him, that is Peter, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Here's what Jesus was saying. He said, when, you, when you've taken a bath, guess what? You're clean. And when you walk around in sandals, you get your feet dirty. You don't have a need to take another bath, but you have a need to wash your feet. Well, Jesus is comparing the washing of feet to salvation. He says, look, when you've been forgiven of your sins, when you've repented of your sins and you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven. 
But as we go along in this world, we still get dirty. And we have need of not coming and being saved again and 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 again. We have need to walk in repentance. There is that initial repentance. And that initial repentance, beloved, is seen as an ongoing thing throughout the true believer's life where there is the ongoing asking of forgiveness for because we get dirty. Okay? So it's established. But if you go over to 14, and Jesus has told His disciples, look, I'm going away from you, and, but there's going to be an important event that's going to happen in your life, and it's going to, it's, it's going to accomplish all that you seek after. In verse 16... Um, He says, and I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper and He may be with you forever. That He may be with you forever. So we have this permanence, this permanent residence. Verse 17, that is the Spirit of truth. Notice the name that the Holy Spirit is given. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and you be in, and He be in you. He abides with you and will be in you. Now let me stop there because this is so important and it is basic Christian theology. What was it that separated all of these followers of Jesus? It was those who thought they were believers and were not. There were those who knew they were not believers and weren't going to become believers, but they were there for all the benefits that they could get. And then there were those that were there that were real believers in Christ. And what was it that separated those categories? It was the presence and abiding work of the Spirit. The Spirit of truth. What did the Spirit of truth give to the individual? Eyes to see and ears to hear. Because we're not talking about these outward appendages, are we? We're talking about the inward work that the Spirit does in our lives. That when we hear even a a simple, plain message like this one, but there is something so effectual going on in the heart that God is in there working. Because the Spirit's God. And He's in there taking these plain and the the simple preaching of men like myself and He makes it such powerful. Jesus comes as, as the prophet. And He comes. And He has that truth in your heart. And He massages it into your life and into your head and into your walk. He makes it precious to you. That's what Paul says. He says, you know, in Colossians, or not Colossians, but Corinthians, Paul says, you know, the natural man doesn't know these things. The natural man's the one that doesn't have the Spirit of God. The natural man doesn't see and appreciate and value these things. Why? Because the Spirit has not given him the eyes to see with. It's not giving him the ears to hear with. He doesn't have the Spirit. The Spirit's not working. But Jesus tells His disciples, He says, oh, listen, I'm going away, but don't worry because I've been comforting you and counseling you and teaching you all these years, but now I'm going to send you another teacher. The Spirit of truth is going to come. Now let's keep reading. In verse 18, He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And after a little while, the world will no longer see Me, but you will see Me because I live in you and you will also live. Let's see, back all the way down to verse 23. Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my word. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And that's important. That's important, isn't it? Calvin says that these two parables that are so similar 
were given by our Lord Jesus because of our proneness to forget. We forget. We forget what we ought to be doing. We forget how precious Christ is. We forget how valuable truth is. We forget. Calvin says these parables, these two little parables are big warnings to every Christian. Turn over to the Gospel of Matthew. I want to show you some more. That give you some, I want to open up more of this idea of seeking. Seeking, right? Because this is something that, that the kingdom of heaven is described like a merchant who is doing what? Seeking a fine pearl. In Matthew... Oh, I'm over here. In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, I want to uh, look at chapter 6. We, in chapter 6, we have the teaching of the Lord's Prayer. Then we have this, this section of, of the teaching of Christ where He goes in and He talks about, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Jesus is teaching us one primary truth here, is that is, where what is in our hearts will be fleshed out into our lives, how we live. That can't be overlooked. That should not be minimized in any way. Chapter 7 even is another, it helps us sort of open this up a little more. And I can't go through verse by verse, but just hitting some of the highlights. Look at verse 6. A passage that seems to be obscure, one that we shy away from because of our, our overly sensitive generation that we live in today. But it says, do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine, for they will trample under they will trample under them their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now I think right here is another description of what Jesus has just proved in thirteen. Jesus is is, is explaining, listen, I'm not throwing truth. To the hogs, unbelievers, these dogs and swine. What's what's these pearls? Truth. What's holy? Truth. Gospel. Jesus says that there are categories of people that are so hateful, so mean, so they are so entrenched and so in love with their with their own hatred and malice and lusts. That to give them the gospel is like throwing pearls to swine. Matthew chapter 15, he looks at the disciples after dealing with the Pharisees and how hard that they had become. And he says, listen, have nothing to do with them because there's coming a day that my father will deal with them. But you stay away from them. Stay away from them. Jesus was warning his disciples. He said, have nothing to do with them. You remember the little bit of yeast? Leavens the whole lump. He said, look, what does false teaching do? It levels the whole lump. Be careful. Be careful. See, I want to, brothers, we, 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 let's look, look at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to believers. See, first of all, if the Spirit of, of Christ, the Spirit of truth is working in you, what is He working in you? Truth. Working in you a, a clearer, 
precious Lord Jesus. Listen, as you, however long you've been a Christian, however long you've been sitting in church, my question is this, is Christ more precious to you today or less precious? Is He more valuable today to you or less valuable? Is it, that is, how do you know? You say, well, Pastor Stanfield, help me understand. How do I know if He's more precious? Well, if you're not doing the things you used to do, He's not. You've gone cold. Your love is cold. And you are in need of that Ephesian church reformation where the Lord Jesus comes and He says to the church in Ephesus, He goes, you know what you need to do? You need to go back to your first love. You're just going through the motions. You're going through the motions. You're not like the merchant who is seeking fine pearls. He, he traverses, I think it was Matthew Henry that talked about the perils and the dangers that the merchant goes through. He has to cross lands where there's thieves and robbers. He has to learn the techniques of hiding his treasure and his money as he travels from one city and land to another because the, 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 there are places where he could be easily robbed and killed, right? He has to traverse the sea and the ocean and take on the elements and, and the nature, if you will, and the weather. But he's... He's consumed by the seeking of the pearl. He wants to find the mother of all pearls. He wants to find that one pearl that far excels them all. Let's flesh this out a little bit more. In fact, though, before you get out of the gospel, let me show you a verse. Look over to John 17. I hope I'm, I'm not confusing you, but it, from John 13 all the way through John 17 to John 18, this is this massive, beautiful discourse between Christ and His disciples. And He comes down through the end. He comes down to the end of that prayer. And He's talking about the, the work of the Spirit uh, in, in them. And sending them the Spirit so that they might know the truth and, and have the truth, if you will. Um, I'm looking at the particular verse I wanted to use here. Look at verse 26 of chapter 17, and, and I think follow me on the application. says, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, here's the point that I want to make. Jesus has just taught his disciples this one primary truth. I'm going away. I'm going to give you the spirit of truth. And when, you, when the spirit of truth comes to you, I will be with you. And now notice what he says here. I've made your name known. Who's making, who, what is the Holy Spirit doing in your life? He's making Christ known. Is the Spirit on vacation? Is the Spirit on vacation with increasing your compassion, your love, your joy, your enthusiasm? When did the Spirit of Christ go on vacation in your life? When did he check out? You see, if he checked out, you never had him. Because he's already said, when he comes to be with you, he will be with you to the end. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit is working in every believer. The Word, the glory, and the manifestation of Jesus, making Jesus precious, desirable, Glorious, lovely to us. It, it, again, let's go to Proverbs. I'm going to show you from the Old Testament too. 
that all Jesus is doing is is bringing to the minds and hearts right that these are the, this is the, this is the life of the believer this is the life and the true life of the one who comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ and and, and it's the testimony of the psalmist who says right that you are more precious to me than gold and silver than all the money in the world. Isn't the psalmist giving us an, a, a, a standard of his own estimation? What's the most precious thing in our lives? What do we talk about the most? What do we think about the most? What do we want to do the most? That's a value system. We're not talking about the... Look, even if you work, whether you are a student or whether you are a, a college student, a, a elementary, high school, whether you work IT, construction... It doesn't matter what it is. Everything we do is being brought into this conformity as a Christian that my life exhibits this value system that I now have by the presence of Christ and the Holy Spirit working in me. That means I ought to be a Christian father, Christian husband, Christian wife, Christian mother, Christian whatever. Whatever I do, I need to be exhibiting this value system that sets forth whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do all for the glory of God. Bar none. That's it. That's a Christian. Proverbs 2, my chapter, Proverbs 2, 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry out for discernment, lift your voice in understanding. If you seek her as silver, search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. I'm going to stop there and make a comment. You see the picture here? Even in the Old Testament, in Proverbs are setting forth this idea of what is the believer doing? Seeking after truth. Seeking after God. Because why? That initial interaction and introduction is just the beginning. It's not the end. And it's not the sum total of all that it's going to be. It's the beginning. It's the beginning. And that's why the, the spiritual father says to the spiritual youngin, he says, oh, if you search for her as hidden treasure, if you place a higher value upon truth and wisdom and knowledge in Christ and gospel over all of these other temporal things, you'll find it. What did the Lord Jesus teach us in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek. You'll find, child. Knock, child. And you'll find the truth. Why? Why is it so important in the parable that we find the truth and value the truth and, and possess the truth? Why? Because of our competition in our lives. Look at the competing truths for your mind right now today. Science. Competing for authority in your life. Philosophies. Competing. You know what syncretism is? Syncretism is that I take the gospel or I take the Bible truths. And the, and as, and this, this is what a lot of Christians do. Or a lot of professing Christians, they'll take and they'll say, look, okay, I've got the Bible. I've got that. Okay, but I don't really like all of it. So I want to synchronize it with other things that I like better. That's not in the parable of the great pearl of great price or the parable of the... Why? Because both had to do what? Both sold everything with joy. Joy. And, and, had, and possessed the truth. Right? That's syncretism. Let's take what we like and add, take out the things we don't like. Let's add in and throw in the things we do like. And let's basically create for ourselves a whole other religion and a whole other Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it's going on all over, all around us in church. I mean, it's, it, is, it is already, it's knocking on the doors of the best of churches. It's here. Then you have pluralism. 
Well, okay. That's the idea that, okay, we've got this truth, but then we also have this truth, and then this truth, and then this truth. And you know what? They all, they all are alike, and they all are equal. That's pluralism. A Christian can't live a synchronistic life, and a Christian can't be a pluralist. There is only one truth. There is only, listen, how many pearls, how many pearls are there? And every other pearl is gauged and judged by the one. And all these competing ideas and truths out there for your allegiance all must come under the dominion and authority of the one truth that God has given to man to know and to believe and to practice. We could look at Proverbs 23, Proverbs 3. I mean, it goes on. Let's, let's basically ask some questions and, be, and wrap it up this morning. Now, the Lord Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. I think, I, I think at least there's legitimacy in believing that the pearl is truth. Look at what Jesus is doing. He's having to compete against the Pharisees and the, 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 the truths of the philosophers of His day. And what is He saying? There's but one. There's but one truth. And you must forsake all others and believe and trust and live out this truth. He sold all that he had. He, he left nothing. He, he gave it all up for the one. And I think the central, the, again, this, this, this theme, this truth that is so important is this. That is, if this, if Christ, if, if this truth, if, if what is taught in this Bible, if it's not worth me giving everything else up for, then I'm not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. If you are not willing to give it up, you're not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You may think you are. You can even hope that you are. But brothers and sisters, you can hope all you want outside the reality of truth. And you know what you're doing? Hoping in vain. I can hope all I want that I'm going to turn into a bird and fly. And it's never going to happen. And that's just like the person that thinks he can hope he can have Christ and live the same life he's been living that's offensive to Christ. It's never going to happen. We have to be willing to give up all that is offensive to Jesus. Our Lord taught us in the Gospel of Luke, He said, there are those things which are highly esteemed among men, but they are abominations to God. <laughs> there are things that we exalt, that we, ex that we exalt, that we promote. Oh, that we take pride in and love to participate in. And at the end of the day, it just is nothing. God hates it. Why? Because it's offensive. It's offensive. It attacks His glory. It attacks the truth. It minimizes the need for men to trust and rest in Christ alone. It teaches all kinds that there can be joy. Hey, listen. If there can be only joy and happiness in Christ, how does, what does Christ and the Father think about all these other things that teach us that you can be happy by believing and trusting in it? They're lies. They're lies. All right, brothers and sisters. Three easy questions. Are you the merchant? Are you a seeker? You're looking for conformity to the truth that you've been introduced to. You want more of it. Christ has shown you who He is and you want more. You want to grow in that knowledge and understanding. You want to grow in that wisdom. You want to grow in that practice. I mean, you want your life to blossom and become more to His glory, not less. Is that you? Secondly, 
Where are you with the truth? Where are you with the truth? Are you okay just knowing a wee bit? You know, I want to know more. Have you given up on knowing any? You think that somehow Christ is just going to overlook all your laziness? Overlook all your inconsistency? Overlook all your desires for everything else and in the end just look at you and go, don't worry about it, just come on in. You think that's what's going to happen? It's not. Jesus is telling us what the kingdom of heaven looks like on earth. And I'm not talking about that fanaticism that goes around in hysteria. We've seen those groups and we have those groups. But we're talking about that heart, earnest desire to know Christ, walk with Christ, and to glorify Christ. Big difference. Last question. Do you possess it? Have you given up everything for it? Your pride. Have you exchanged your pride for humility? Have you exchanged your fear for what the world thinks of you and, 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 and are okay with Christ? Are you okay with Christ? Have you made this truth your truth? I mean, you can talk about my church. You can talk about my pastor. I mean, you can talk about my wife or my husband. Or you can talk about my daddy, my mama. You can talk about my friends. I mean, you can talk about the people that you like the most. Uh, uh, Doctor, uh, The late Dr. R.C. Sproul. You can talk about all these people that you might esteem. But my question to you is this. Do you possess what they teach? Are you a possessor? Of what they talk about. Because if you don't possess it. It's not yours. What would, have it, what would it benefit the merchant to travel land and sea. To find the pearl of great price. And walk away. And say I saw it. I know where it is. I know who has it. I know the owner of it. I've stayed in his house. I've held it, but I don't possess it. He wouldn't be considered to be likened unto the kingdom of heaven because he sold all that he had and he went before anybody else could buy it and he bought it. A man of means already had money, but in order to secure for himself that prized possession... He sold it all, liquidated it all, so that no one was going to outbid him. Brothers and sisters, if that zeal and passion is not yours this morning, maybe it used to be, I want to ask you to pray. Ask God to rekindle it. Ask you to repent of your sins. What sins are holding you back? What fears? What fears? What discouragements? What is it that's holding you back from being all in? Seek Christ, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's pray.